Insights for Building Your Patient's Medical Home. I'm Lori. And I'm Michelle, and we're with the Alberta Medical Association. And today we're proud to be bringing you our first podcast, uh, well, second podcast, but first podcast where we're interviewing a physician. Yes, and that physician happens to be Dr. Brad Baylor, who is sometimes our co-host on these podcasts, is also the Provincial Medical Director for Primary Care Network Evolution, and in his spare time, a rural family doc. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, his his clinic, the Sylvan Family Health Centre in Central Alberta, practices really comprehensive rural medicine. So they do things like like a lot of rural clinics do, They, as well as their, their family practice. They cover obstetrics, geriatrics, hospital care, and even palliative care. So very busy. Yeah, so we're kicking it off today where we're going to hear a little bit about Brad's journey um, as a physician into becoming a physician who works in a patient's medical home, mm-hmm. as well as the journey that uh, the clinic has gone through. That's right. Let's let's listen to what Brad has to say. Welcome, Brad, and thank you for being our first guest slash guinea pig. Well, thank you very much for having me start this off. And I was thinking to start off, there are a lot of people out there who may not be really familiar with the concept of patient's medical home. So could you just give us a bit of an explanation of what that actually means? Sure. I think if I was trying to explain it, I might start with uh, kind of what a practice looked like 10, 20 years ago. When I started in practice in Sylvan Lake, I joined, I think, a practice that was not much different than any other medical practice at the time. Um, Really physicians working in isolation with a minimal support staff, um, seeing patients kind of one-to-one and trying our best to meet the community-based need. When I think of a medical home, it's still the core of physicians working in a community to meet, um, meet the needs of the community, but it's really about working in a team that includes a bunch of other healthcare professionals with specialized skill sets, really maximizing the roles of non-medical professionals in your team. And I think it's about really planning as a team how you look after the comprehensive needs of a population and do it together rather than just seeing the next problem in front of you uh, over and over again. So it uh, includes elements of the old style practice, but also new elements as well. Hmm. So as a physician who practiced in the, what you were calling the old style, um, if we were to take you back 10 years, what was it like for you as a physician to practice in that way? How did you feel? Yeah, I mean, we, we had our share of manpower issues early in those early days. So Sylvan Lake at the time was growing and continues to grow very rapidly and we were having a really hard time meeting the um, needs of the community. So we had a very long wait list to see us. We weren't necessarily organizing ourselves proactively to plan for patients, really just seeing problem after problem. Um, to add on that, we have our hospital responsibilities, our long-term care responsibilities, right. call responsibilities, and I think in the first few years, it was uh, a lot of a lot of chaos and feeling like we were falling behind, putting out fires, um, just trying to survive. 
in those in those first few years. And so, I think some of that has to do with the community and the growth that it was that it was uh, seeing, but also some of it had to do with the way we chose to organize ourselves and our time to look after them. And so, uh, it was kind of like uh, a chaotic environment where you went from place to place just trying to put out a fire and move on to the next one. Hmm. And I'm sure as a physician, did you feel totally satisfied (laughs) with your work? Well, I mean, there's good things and bad things. So you learn a lot in the first few years of practice when you're very, very busy and you have a lot of responsibilities. But um, it was also a bit unsatisfying and at the end of the day I wasn't sure how good of a job I was really doing so I I started to really question those early years whether this was the right career for me um, whether the work I was doing was providing any actual benefit to patients Um, and that really started me thinking about how how could we do things a little bit differently and maybe have uh, a better service that's higher quality and more accessible to patients. So it kind of reached a point in my my early career where we actually had to make the choice that I was going to uh, make some changes in the, in the practice and try some new things, or that maybe it wasn't for me and I was going to have to move on to a different, uh, a different career at that time. Hmm. But here you still are. So something changed, obviously. What are things like now? I mean, so my practice is uh, much, much different than it was than it was back in the early days. We initially really ran with kind of a skeleton crew of support staff only. Uh, we had even had rules about not having support staff in due to cost depending on number of docs that were in early in the early in time and now we've really transitioned to having a a really well-rounded team around the providers where everybody has a place and everybody has roles and responsibilities and i think we either um, survive together and learn together or when we struggle we struggle together so i mean there's still stress and there's still um, ways we can learn and improve but the environment now is a lot different than it was back when I started. Right. So, you know, you are involved in so many provincial initiatives and you have so many responsibilities. I imagine that your time in the clinic has been reduced pretty significantly. How many days on average would you say you're actually in clinic these days? Well, I mean, it's hard to, it's sometimes hard to quantify because I may have a week where I managed to get a few days in, three or four days in, but then I also have weeks where I'm here, you know, not at all, or maybe a half a day in a week. I think on average, I probably average um, two two days a, a week in clinic and then we also build some other types of patient time around that where I can contact them via phone or I um, have some time with my team over the phone to help manage some mm-hmm. of some of the patient uh, issues so but probably on average two two full days a week because my next question was you know have you been pairing back your panel to try and you know, uh, manage that because you must have a smaller panel now than you did back in the day. Well, it I th- it might be a bit smaller than it was when I was working essentially full time clinically with no other responsibilities. So I would have been working like five and a half days a week in clinic, mm-hmm. uh, kind of thing in the initial days, and then as other responsibilities added on, my time got shrunk back. So. 
I think at one time my panel was around um, 1,800 patients or something mm-hmm. like that. And currently it sits around 1,500 or so. Mm-hmm. So there's maybe a little bit of... Um, uh, of shrinkage of size of the <laughs> panel, but but actually not as much as you might expect. Yeah, I'm surprised actually that number is much higher than I thought. So well, what about your access? I'm sure patients are having to wait then quite a while to come in to see you if uh, if that's... Well, to be to be honest, it um, it's actually better than when I started. So back in those early days, the first three or four years, my average wait time, I think, ran around fourteen or fifteen days to, to see me at that time. Um, I think on average, most weeks it's two to three now. Wow, two to three days. Yeah, two. To now, three is days, that two so. to three days to receive the care they need? Or two to three days to see you or what how does that work yeah so that would be two to three days to see me specifically on mm-hmm. average would be my my third next available mm-hmm. and that fluctuates obviously some weeks if i'm there more it's actually zero or same day mm-hmm. and then that averages with weeks i'm uh, totally out of clinic where it would be you know five or six or seven but on yeah. average it runs around two or three days um patients also do receive care from some of my team um, independently of me at times I'm not here as well so they would have access to some nursing support and stuff in addition to that but uh, two to three days would be my time to see me specifically so is that because it, it, it's surprising I would have thought that your wait times would be much longer um, so what is the secret then is it is it the the, the patient's medical home approach where you you have more team support so I think that's part of it. Um, I think we built and changed our approach at our clinic in Sylvan over a decade. And I think um, team-based care was a really essential part of that change. Uh, focusing on access and maintaining access and some of the changes that you make in how you deploy your time and how you schedule uh, some of those really core principles of advanced access are also a, a major kind of pillar mm-hmm. and of course that's a pillar of the, the patient's medical home as right. well right. Um, so if, if I could describe the two major changes it would be a, an attention to access mm-hmm. and really fully utilizing the team that's available to you mm-hmm. and that team when we started was actually fairly small mm-hmm. and you know it's grown over over time but we do ask ourselves uh, every week, how can we better utilize our team? What's the most valuable use of their time? Mm-hmm. Um, how can we make sure that we see patients only when they really need to be here uh, versus doing things routinely out of habit that maybe don't add clinical clinical value? Mm-hmm. So you're, you're in the room in my office right now with uh, all the sheets on the wall that talk about all the things that we review every week and talk about how we better utilize our team. Um, how we create better access and those types of things. Hmm. So if you could give us a couple examples of things that have made a big impact just for our listeners, what uh, what examples could you give us? I mean, there's a, there is a lot. So we could talk about how we've organized our team for an hour, probably <laughs> more. Um, so some of the, the biggest ones are utilizing our nursing team mm-hmm. uh, for some of the chronic disease management tasks and roles and responsibilities so 
one of my primary care network nurses essentially manages all of our diabetics and all our COPD patients. So she's able really to keep track of that population, to service most of their needs and to work with us so that um, uh, when we need to see them, we know exactly what it is we're, we're needing to do or address or look mm-hmm. at changing. So utilizing our nursing team for some of the chronic disease management has been really key Lately, we've been uh, really focusing on using nursing for other clinical tasks as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything that's a routine clinical task where there's a pretty standard set of information that has to be gathered, a pretty standard protocol on, on how you mm-hmm. might address something. So we have uh, nurses doing everything from seeing babies and moms for their postnatal checkups to doing some of the early prenatal care to seeing some of the routine more acute illnesses like urinary tract infections and pharyngitis Mm -hmm. and some of that work so i think that was probably a big change the other thing we're, we're really trying to focus on is getting everything a patient needs into one visit rather than having recurrent visits for the right. same problem. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you show up here in the clinic for a prescription refill, then we're going to try and make sure that all your screening is up to date, all the investigations that you need done for your chronic illnesses are done, that all your prescriptions are kind of verified and confirmed, that any other issues that you have might be addressed. So we take a, an opportunity every time we touch base with you to try and look at everything that's going on uh, really to save the need for a patient to come back down the road unless Mm -hmm. it's really necessary in addition to that we are starting to to do more phone appointment contact Mm -hmm. more email contact with patients and so although it's still a patient contact it doesn't take as much time necessarily as an in-person visit might take And then lastly, just the focus on access. So always looking at what is our third next available? How can we bring it down? How do we deal with the queue of patients who might be waiting? And that happens really at an individual provider level. So that might mean looking with your nursing team and saying, okay, which of these patients do we think can be better managed or as well managed by a nursing visit as opposed to an in-face visit? Or do you need to add a little time one week and take time away from a different week just to balance out the uh, supply and demand that you have based on your patient needs? So those are some of the examples of things that we've done that have really improved our our access at the clinic. Yeah, sounds awesome. Um, I'm wondering, it's definitely a change for um, physicians and and clinic teams to move to that model. What about patients? Because patients are typically used to coming in and seeing their physician. So did that process go smoothly or did you have strategies around helping patients? Yeah, I mean, for the most part, I find that patients just want their needs met. And if you provide them different options that meet their needs and they feel like um, their needs were met in a timely fashion uh, with quality kind of underpinning mm-hmm. uh, the visit that they're very, very accepting of seeing other health professionals as part of your team. One of the thing that we, things that we do very specifically is um, kind of promote our team, try and hand patients off in a warm fashion mm-hmm. to our yeah. team members. So, you know, I 
might say, please see my nurse to talk about your diabetes. And a patient might not know what that means or how that nurse is connected to the care I provide. We have very specific handoffs. And so I would say, this is Barb. Barb is my nurse. She sees all my diabetics. I trust her uh, input. In some ways, she knows more about the medications and diabetic management than I do. She's going to keep me totally informed about what's going on. She's going to ask me if there's any concerns. You can always see me to follow up if you have concerns. But I'd really like her uh, to be involved in your care because I think it will make it better. And that's a far different way of handing off care than, you know, please see my nurse. Yeah. So yeah. so all, all of the clinicians here are pretty good at that kind of warm handoff experience. In addition to that, for patients that have some reluctance, sometimes we actually visit them together with team members until mm-hmm. they can establish a trust with that, uh, with that team member. So for some of our uh, patients with really complex needs, complex social needs and medical needs, um, we actually specifically do some co-visits to get them comfortable with the team member we find that works pretty well too. So there are a couple strategies for people that are that are a little bit reluctant maybe, but I find on average that's actually the exception rather than the rule. Most people are very happy to see a nurse if it uh, if it meets their needs. Right. What um you know if someone were to have some concerns about uh scope do you have any any uh, help for that concern? Yeah, I mean, so role negotiation, dealing with issues around scope of practice, um, those are some of the, the absolute must conversations when you set up a team or when you're working with a team. And I mean, Barb has now worked with us for, I think, close to 10 years. And her role evolved over those 10 years. It's not like it started like this. It started with well, let's just have you see a diabetic with us and we'll see how that goes. And, you know, over time, we uh, negotiated the role, talked about scope of practice, and we actually do that every week in our clinic. So as part of our quality improvement touch points, we would have a kind of a scope and role conversation with the nursing team a lot. So what we find is surprisingly, well, maybe not surprisingly, nurses have a big scope. Pharmacists have a big scope of practice. And even if you look in their professional associations, they have quite quite a large scope of practice. We have had times when something wasn't in the standard scope of practice. And so we actually have researched with, with the association, with other groups, what does it take to ensure a nurse has a competency to perform a certain skill? Mm-hmm. And so sometimes that means that as a physician group, we've worked with the nursing group to, to train them and ensure that they have that competency. Sometimes there's standard training modules through your associations that ensure they have that competency. So yeah, role negotiation and ensuring it's within a scope of practice and ensuring the other health professionals are comfortable with what they're asked to do is one of the key elements of setting up a team. And we work on that on on an ongoing basis. Yeah. Fantastic. I'm wondering a little bit about um, about leadership. Um, would you say that physicians are prepared to become leaders in medical school, or is that is that something that physicians kind of think of as being part of their role? So I think that there is a natural tendency for uh, physicians to uh, 
be leaders or see themselves as leaders because of our medical training. But it's often leadership in the context of, of leading medical care or, or, you know, leading a hospital-based team or something like that. Um, medical schools are not very good at teaching, I think, the kind of leadership required to run a really good primary care team, right, or to set up a primary care network uh, in our province or to work with community agencies on a joint problem. I don't think that kind of leadership is really taught well in medical school. And a lot of that is more learning on the job and trying to access the kind of supports that you can when you when you need them. But I think that's a struggle that a lot of younger physicians find themselves in is I'm now being asked to play a role in my primary care network. I'm being asked to be a, a leader on my team. And maybe I'm not comfortable with how I actually do that. And so I think that's an area that we've tried to continue to support the newer docs as they joined our group to feel comfortable mm-hmm. in that role. And what about the rest of your team? Are there is it only physicians in your clinic that play leadership roles or is it? Um... No, I mean, absolutely not. So some of our um, biggest champions are administrative champions on our team. So uh, traditionally over the years, our clinic manager, clinic coordinator has played a huge leadership role in our group. When you come and you sit with our quality improvement team, you would find leaders from all the different disciplines in our clinic. So there's a reception lead and a nursing lead and an MOA lead and a PCN lead. And, you know, all those um, leaders would have an equal kind of voice at that table around what are we trying to tackle next or what's our next challenge. So we've been blessed with really good leaders, both uh, clinical and non-clinical as well, that have kind of held things together when sometimes the docs are stretched really thin with their clinical responsibilities. Yeah. So would you say at this point in time that your clinic is a true medical home? So we're on our way there. You know, I think uh, somebody asked me that question around three or four years ago, and I said that, you know, maybe I was 50% there. I think now I would say that maybe I'm 75% there or 80% there, but I still see a lot of things that we could do differently. I still think there's uh, roles for other types of health health professionals we don't have on our team to Mm -hmm. join us. I think there's ways that we can integrate some of the traditional Alberta health services disciplines like home care and mental health, you know, into a medical home team. So I think we've come a long way over the last decade. Would would I say we're done or we're there? No, I think there's still a, still a ways to go. Yeah. yeah. And thinking about that, you know, we've talked about what what's happened over the last decade. Let's jump forward a decade. What, what will your practice look like then? Well, I don't know that I can give you a prediction about what things will look like a decade from now. I, I couldn't have actually um, given you a prediction that this is what it would look like a decade ago. You know, I think that our approach has been uh, what's the next step that we can take. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we started on the road to improving access and, and team-based care, we started with one clinical task or maneuver. So... All we said is, how can our nursing staff and MOAs help screen for colon cancer? That was our initial clinical task. That took us three months to sort out (laughs) initially. And so as you build on those iterative steps, what can we do next? What's working? What's not working? You get better at it and you get quicker at it. 
but I'm not sure that I know what that next step will kind of look like. Sometimes you have to take the opportunities that come come to you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, right now, one opportunity that we're working on within our zone is a partnership with home care with Alberta Health Services, where we've added a new role called a home care liaison that's going to work with our team on aligning home care supports and services to our to our team. And so that's the kind of opportunity that that um, comes if you keep asking questions and you know you keep trying new things. But I don't know exactly what our team will look like. I hope it'll have a lot of the core elements in it that it still has that have been successful. Um, I hope we see better more seamless integration with home care, mental health, and public health, which I think are are, um, big components. I hope we see a more close association with community organizations um, that provide social support and medical support. And I hope we see a closer association with acute care, facility-based care, where we're handing off care in a, a more seamless way that looks after patients' needs in a less kind of risky way than they currently transition. So I think the work of the future will be on integration and transitions and continue to build out roles and responsibilities, but I'm not sure what exactly that'll look like a decade from now. Fair enough. And we want to finish off each of these podcasts with the same question for every guest. And so that question is, what practical advice would you like to give physicians and teams out there who are building their medical homes? So I think the practical advice I would give is don't, I mean, don't look at a practice who's been doing this 10 years and say, um, we're going to get there tomorrow. Don't look at a team whose composition is different than yours and say, I can't do that because my team doesn't look exactly like that. The practical advice I would give is pick one thing that you think you can do better or do in a different way and put a plan in place to try that out. And you'll learn from it whether it works or it doesn't work. And more often than not, you'll learn that you can do things a little bit differently. You can build on your success. So... Uh, The advice I would give is pick the thing that matters the absolute most to you that you think you can do better as a team and uh, build on your success one step at a time. Or one nail at a time, as it were. Exactly. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Brad. That's been, um, I think, really interesting and enlightening. And uh, we look forward to having you back, but on the other side of the microphone, um, interviewing our, our future guests. Well, thank you, Michelle. Until then. So, Brad, you mentioned earlier phoning and emailing patients, which is probably something quite new for a lot of providers out there. Um, and you work in a fee-for-service role. You're, you're not on an ARP, correct? Well, we've just transitioned to an ARP ah. in the last nine months. Oh, okay. So the majority of the changes that we're talking about here occurred under a fee-for-service environment over the mm-hmm. last 10 years. And I did actually phone and email uh, patients prior to us uh, trying this new model and uh, what I found is that you can't actually get paid for a good chunk of phone and email appointments over the course mm-hmm. of the week and even if you do a few a week it's a way to help maintain your access so because we 
uh, or personally, I haven't had a lot of extra time over the past number of years. I chose that as a way to help maintain access and found that it worked really well. Right. Yeah. And speaking of access, um, when we think about the patient's medical home implementation elements, which is sort of the suggested evidence-based approach to um, to taking on tasks to, to turn your clinic into a patient's medical home. And access is actually pretty high up on that list. So you mentioned that you kind of started there. Um, why was that? I think at the time, that was the support that was available to us, and it was the problem that we were most faced with was was poor access at the clinic that was causing some of the chaos. And so we we actually joined Alberta AIM at the time, which was really the only game in town to try and, and uh, improve that. And what we quickly found is that although the focus was on access, we had to backtrack and establish leadership at the clinic level, know what our panel was, who it was we were looking after, figure out how we were going to use our team effectively, learn and grow as a team, uh, grow our capacity to improve. And so if you look at those medical home elements, although we started with access as the end goal, we actually had to address all those foundational elements in that journey, which um, which occurred over a couple years' time at that point in time with Alberta Aim. Right, right. So you basically just learned the hard way what we're, the rest of us are starting off with. So Yes. Yeah, yeah. awesome. Thanks so much for tuning in. Check out the show notes for links to the tools, resources, and websites that were referenced in this podcast. Also, we'd love to hear from you. Leave us a comment, tell us what you thought, and what you'd like to hear more about. And until next time, grab your hammer and keep building one nail at a time.